This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. You know, if I'm giving 10%, I'm not giving the 10% to the people I pass on the street. Mostly I'm giving that to big impact places where I think I could really have a huge impact on others. But there's always a certain amount of my charitable giving that is reserved for giving to everybody who asks me for money. Every needy person who asks me, there's an idea that you never want to say no. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about the importance of giving back on your journey to financial independence. Now, it may feel counterintuitive to give away your money as you are growing your net worth, but my guest today feels that giving is an integral part of building true wealth. Author Dave Mason is my guest today. Dave is the co-author of the new book, The Cash Machine, a tale of passion, persistence, and financial independence. I recently read this book, and I have to say, Dave, I know you're hearing this right now, this book was fantastic. It is awesome. I could not put it down. It teaches hundreds of financial lessons from the importance of saving for emergencies all the way to investing in real estate with the Burr strategy. It's It's got all of it. <laughs> and it's also a love story, which is a lot of fun to read as well. Dylan, one of the main characters in this financial love story, is taught to give 10% of his income away at the start of his financial independence journey. And since this is an area that I'm personally exploring myself, I thought it would be fun to dive in further with our author, Dave, here today. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much, Andy. It's great to be here. Awesome, man. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, something I'm personally working on. So let's talk about your book first. How did you decide to write a book on financial independence? Well, I'd gotten to a point in my life where I was facing a lot of financial stress. And I realized, you know, it wasn't because I wasn't making enough money. I'd actually made a decent amount of money in my life. It was because I'd done a lot of stupid things with the money I'd made. And I realized that, you know what? All these dumb choices come from the fact that I had basically no financial education. You know, I was in school all the way through law school. And not once did I ever have a class that actually taught me about money. You'd think it's one of the most essential things. And here I am in professional school learning how to build a career. You'd think we'd learn actually how to, what to do with money rather than just how to go ahead and go out there and get it. But never. And I realized I really needed a financial education. And for me, I've learned that there's no better way for me to master a topic than to research and write a novel on the subject. So being a novelist, that's what I love to do. And you know, if I was just trying to learn about money for myself, I would have looked at the narrow areas that were relevant to my life. But when I had to write a novel on the subject, well, now I needed to understand everything that the characters would deal with, everything that any of my readers would be dealing with. I had to go much, much broader. So I wanted to get myself a really in-depth and broad financial education And so the way to do that for me was to just dive in and write a book. And it was not initially really about financial independence. I didn't even know what that was. But as I started understanding more about money, I realized that, you know what? One of the reasons I made so many dumb financial choices was because I didn't have a financial goal. I didn't know what my goal should be. And when I uncovered in my research this area of financial independence, I said, ah, that's it. 
that's what I should be going for. And it was a huge shift in my life from that point forward. I love it. Well, I mean, you say you don't have a background in this or you didn't have a lot of knowledge in it. This book is full of incredible lessons. Where were you influenced by the information that you got in this book that you put in the book? So many different places. I'd say Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a really big first step. That's where I kind of first saw that idea of financial independence and it really struck a chord. I also saw him going through a, a bunch of the mistakes I'd personally made in my life. And it was just each time I was just like, ooh, you know, it hurt to read that and say, yes, totally messed up there, totally messed up there. Then I started delving into podcasts and YouTube videos and blog posts. I just really dive into each area I could find. I'd pick up book after book. I'd talk to people and I just keep going. Like whenever a new topic came came up, I'd say, okay, now I got to go learn about that. And I just follow the, the path from one topic to another topic until I just found that the same points kept coming up over and over and over again. Once I did that, I'm like, okay, I've kind of come to the end of end of that road. It's been a long time since anybody's presented anything new. I just hearing the same several hundred points over and over again. So at that point, I realized, all right, it's now time to put this together into a novel and make it all work as a story. That's incredible. So there are two main characters in the book. There's Amber and there's Dylan, and there's obviously a lot of other great characters in the book. Are those characters based on you and your wife some way loosely? Because I know your wife, Hannah, was also a co-author of this book. So they are not based on us at all, <laughs> at all. But the fact that it's a love story is entirely based on us because you know we found that money was really one of the biggest triggering things in our relationship. And you, you and I were talking before the show about how Money is one of the top causes of divorce. And what really struck me about that when I first heard that is that it's not that money is one of the top causes of divorce among impoverished people. Money is one of the top causes of divorce amongst the rich and the poor alike. It doesn't seem to be people were divorced because they didn't have enough. It seems like no matter how much you have, money can be a huge cause of marital and relationship conflict. And that's one of the big reasons we decided to write it as a love story. And one of the things I, I learned this whole process is that so much of why money is a big cause of relationship strife and divorce is because we don't grow up comfortable talking about this. It's a taboo subject. We're never really comfortable dealing with money. And so all of a sudden we get married and we feel like, well, now we should be able to talk about money. Now it makes sense that we have a mature conversation about money. We don't have the vocabulary to discuss it with each, with each other. And like we talked about, at no point in our education do we ever learn about money. So even if we had the vocabulary to talk about it, we wouldn't be able to talk about strategies or different perspectives. So we made it a love story because it is just such a key aspect of relationships. And I wanted to give couples the tools to be able to have a dialogue about money. And one of the things I love about writing a novel, as we were discussing before, is that I don't have to take one perspective. A nonfiction book is going to say, do X, Y, and Z, and a different nonfiction book will have a different strategy. This being a novel, I was able to present a whole bunch of different strategies and perspectives on money. And my hope is that when couples read it together, certainly a lot have thus far, but it's not written just for couples by any means. But when couples read it together, they can really say, oh, you know what, this perspective resonates with me. And the other one can say, well, this perspective resonates more with me. And they can discuss it. They can have a back and forth. And they can really come to one mind about, okay, what are we as a couple going to do? Not that everyone has to follow the same path, but I wanted to raise these issues and these questions about money and these strategies about money in the context of relationship, because it is such a key element of relationship. And I hope that Raising it this way will allow people to have intelligent money discussions and get on the same page so that money doesn't have to be a cause of divorce or strife for them. 
I love it, man. That's great. And I see what you're going with with the story. I love the different perspectives because to your point, I don't think there's one right answer. I just think there's different ways to look at things. And with that view, you know, you can do that with your relationship. You, you can take that empathetic perspective and put yourself in the shoes of your spouse and say, okay, I see where they're coming from or I see their their view. So I, I appreciate that. And I, I loved it a lot. It's a great book. Let's talk a little bit about the giving side of things because this is what stuck out to me. And maybe it's just the point I am at my life right now. But why did you make it a point for Dylan, our, our frugal fi hero, to give away 10% of his income right at the start of his financial independence journey? Absolutely. So for me, it's truthfully, it's been a little bit hard to have this discussion. In fact, when you asked me to talk about this, I was really debating how to approach this subject. So why do I say it's hard? Because really, I've got several different hats that I wear in life, and they don't tend to cross over much. So when I've been on different money shows talking about money and talking about the cash machine, I'm only approaching it from a secular perspective. But I also happen to be an Orthodox rabbi and giving charity is just one of the core elements of my religion and my practice. And I've seen the power of it and I believe so deeply in the power of it. But I've been challenged to a certain degree of how to convey that to an audience that might not be coming from my same religious background, from that same that same area. So I've been thinking a lot about how to approach this conversation here. So I'd like to actually, before we dive into the specific question you asked, if you don't mind, I'd like to put you on the spot for a moment. Sure. I'd like to ask you a question. So let's just say that in your life that you were starting to feel troubled by the homelessness you were seeing on the streets in your hometown. And you were seeing it a lot and it was really starting to get to you. And you personally made a decision that you wanted to give a a hundred dollars to to charity to help homelessness. And you came up with three solutions for how to do that. One of them was to give the hundred dollars to a soup kitchen. One of them was to give a hundred dollars to one person and hope to have like big impact on lifting that person out of their the situation they were in. And the other one was to give a dollar each to a hundred homeless people as you pass them on the street. Which of those three choices would you take? First thing that comes to mind is the soup kitchen. The reason that is, is that there are people who are dedicating their lives to a structured way of giving back with the most impact. And since I feel as if I'm a novice with regard to how to give, I would love to equip the people that are you know, aiming to give the most impact. Awesome. So I'm really glad you gave that answer. When I ask people this question, that's the answer I get most commonly. But as I was going through and I was looking through you know, the kind of the ancient Jewish sources on this that, that, that I study, one of the things that hit me was that is not the recommended path. And the I'm mostly drawing for one of our great Torah sages, who I refer to as the Rambam, who's kind of sort of known as Maimonides out in the in the broader world. And what he points out is in this circumstance that I gave, where certainly anybody can give any of those three ways, they're all legitimate ways, they're all great ways, they're all highly encouraged ways, but he most encourages giving the dollar each to 100 people. And the reason is a reason that people don't necessarily think about, that he would agree that giving the way you wanted to would probably have the most impact in terms of giving the most help. But he reframes it a bit and says, but there's another impact that we don't tend to think about as much that is really important that we address as well. And that is the impact on you, the giver. And that there's a certain aspect that every time you give to somebody, it's actually refining you. It's creating, think about it for a second. You can write a check to the soup kitchen and in five minutes you're done. Or every time you pass a homeless person on the street, you can reach out and give a dollar. And each time you're building a human connection rather than 
averting your eyes from somebody, you're actually saying, I care about you. They might be taking and saying, thank you so much. And you've, you've created this connection there and you're feeling the impact. You're actually refining yourself as a human being. You know, again, trying to look at this from a non-religious perspective. I'm a big follower of Tony Robbins. I've attended all of his events and I've been on, on the crew for a number of his events already. And so I've been working them. He talks about the six human needs that everybody has. And one of those higher needs is the, the need for contribution. So it's like everybody has a need to be contributing and that giving that money to each person who asks, just it changes you. It has an impact on you. It also puts your whole making money plan in a different perspective. Like a lot of people struggle with this idea that, you know, if I'm working so hard to financial independence or working on all this money things, oh, I might be greedy. Why am I only focused on money? Why am I only focused on these other things? Taking a percent of what you make from the very beginning of this journey and saying that, you know what, it's not just about what I'm going to do for me. So often this money journey is about me, me, me. And I think that's a lot of reason why people have a hard time learning about money because they feel greedy and self-centered going on this money thing. But if you make a commitment from the beginning that as I go on this path of improving my financial situation, it's not just going to be for me. It's going to make me a greater contributor to the world as well. If you marry those two things together, it has a huge impact on your process of trying to learn about money and make more intelligent financial choices because it becomes a process of contributing to the world as well. You know, you mentioned Dylan starting off on this path. So the way we frame that as Dylan meets this mentor, this guy, this crazy fisherman down in Mexico, who's kind of a kooky character and this guy named Luther. And he says that giving 10% is one of the conditions for him teaching Dylan what he knows. And Dylan's like, why? You know, why is that a condition for you? And he says, the world doesn't need another taker. If I'm going to teach you the tools of acquiring wealth, it's to turn you into a giver. And Dylan responds like, okay, well, but that's after I'm wealthy, right? Like right now I don't have any money, so I'm not going to be giving yet because that's going to obviously stop me from acquiring wealth. And the guy says, no, 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 no. Giving is like a muscle. You need to build it over time. A man who won't give 10 cents on a dollar won't give 100,000 on a million. So Luther, right from the very beginning, is saying, this is an important thing. You need to become a giver. It's an important element of the whole process of becoming wealthy. And it's always struck me as a, as a religious person when I've read of financial strategies from people who don't present themselves as religious, I don't know if they are or they're not, how many of them emphasize over and over again, to become wealthy, you need to give charity. To become wealthy, you need to give charity. I've heard it over and over again. I'm saying... Well, that makes sense for me because I'm a rabbi and we believe that. We actually say that this is one of the areas where you're allowed to test God. It says that, you know, you should give at least 10%. And if you do that, watch, you know, that's a key to becoming wealthy from a spiritual place. But I've always wondered, like, why do these non-religious money teachers also emphasize it? And, and they don't tend to explain it. They've, they tend to state it as if it's a fact but don't go into the details. I've always struggled to understand, well, what is the perspective they're coming from? And I think part of it is that idea like, well, if I'm giving, then I'm so much more motivated to be doing intelligent things with money. My baggage around money is likely to be going down. My motivation to be making money is going up because I'm having so much more impact through it. So I think these are all factors and why it's so important to be giving as part of your money process. Well, let's talk about your point about flexing that muscle. So there's somebody listening right now that's saying, you know what, this sounds like something I should be doing. I want to give more, but it's just not something that I, I 
guess, can do right away. I just don't feel like I can do it right away. So how can somebody who's maybe not giving a lot right now flex that muscle to increase their giving? The first thing I'd say to someone is give to everyone who asks. That doesn't necessarily mean all the cold callers who are calling from all the different charity things. But when you actually pass somebody who's needy on the street and they ask you, give something. Now, I'd be surprised if there's any listeners of this podcast who couldn't afford to dig into their, their pocket and pull out a quarter. You know, just even a quarter shows this person on the street that you care. And, you know, I really divide my money that I give into a couple different pockets, a couple different buckets, I guess you'd say. And one of them is, okay, big money. You know, if I'm giving 10%, I'm not giving the 10% to the people I pass on the street. Mostly I'm giving that to big impact places where I think I could really have a huge impact on others. But there's always a certain amount of my charitable giving that is reserved for giving to everybody who asks me for money. Every needy person who asks me, there's an idea that you never want to say no. That's also one of the tenets we we teach in, in Judaism, that you know, if somebody asks, you want to be able to say yes. So even if somebody doesn't feel like they can give, like let's say, real money, like a big chunk of money that would actually impact their bottom line. But you know, if you get off the subway and the three blocks you walk to work, you pass like, you know, two homeless people each day who always have their, their spots there, you know, preloading your pocket with two quarters so you can give a, one to each. It's not going to actually make an impact on how much you have left at the end of the month, but it will flex that muscle and people will start to shift. They'll start to really evaluate, you know, how do I feel when I give? Do I like this? Do I not like this? So that's one thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is, can you afford to test out the 10% concept for a month? You know, if, if the, you know, we say you might not be religious, like, but what we said, like, this is an area where in my faith, it says that try this and you will see that this is one area you can test me and I will actually increase your wealth if you do this. So it's like a pretty wild concept. I don't know of any other area in Judaism, at least that we say, go out and test God. But in this one, we do. So it's saying like, wow, if somebody's not sure about this, I would say, are you willing to run an experiment to give 10% or if you can't give 10, even some other number, are you willing to try that for a month and actually then and chart it and see during this month, do I feel better emotionally? Do I feel like I'm a better person? Do I feel more grateful? And look at your money. Do you see that actually this month from some place that you weren't even expecting it, that abundance kind of poured in? Did you see that you actually did better that month? You got, you landed more clients that things worked better for you. You know, if it says test, test God on this one, try it, run an experiment one month, try giving and see, do I have positive impact on my life? And if the answer is no, then pull back. But what does it really cost you to just take one period of time and say, you know what, is this something that will have impact on me or not? I love running experiments in my life. And that's what I would say to people. One Give to everyone you pass, even if just a little bit, make that human connection. And two, experiment and see if it really has impact for you or if you just think well, that guy, Dave, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, 
and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. Well, you talked about having 10% of your money or how you were talking about for big impact. So talk to us about what big impact means to you personally. And then if people were to be looking for maybe charities to give to, how do they find what's big impact for them? So I love thinking in terms of what the benefit for my buck is. So, and really when it comes to money, there's a couple of different buckets I put things in. One, there's absolutely a tenant that, you know, giving first to a family member in need is more important than a stranger. A neighbor is more important than somebody on the other side of the world. You want to be building within your community first. That's one aspect of it. And I try to give a certain amount within my community and within people we know that that have that have certain needs. But we also give a certain amount of money for things that I, I feel are very impactful. So actually, there's a TED Talk many years ago that I saw that really struck me. And this guy was talking about what it costs to get one blind person a seeing eye dog in America. And you can see that being a good charitable thing. Somebody's blind, they need help seeing. A seeing eye dog, you could see, could be a very helpful thing. And then the guy compared it to how many blind people in the third world could you actually restore to sight for the cost of that one seeing eye dog? And the number was absolutely outrageous. And through him, I actually contacted the guy and I found out about the organization. So this is an organization I love to give to. And literally, it costs $50 in the third world to take somebody who could be completely blind because of cataracts and do a cataract surgery on them. So for $50, I can completely change somebody's life. I can take a blind person and restore them to sight. And that just 
to me feels like a huge impact for my money. And I'll give money, I'll basically donate sight to a blind person when I feel like I want to shift, when say I'm feeling a little bit down, I want to do something that feels like a generous action or my business is actually doing poorly. You'd think that when my business is doing poorly, I'd want to be hoarding as much as I can, but we've kind of learned it's the opposite. That actually giving is one of the strongest ways when you're struggling financially and you're kind of in that hoarding place. Well, you know what? Doing something generous and actually giving can actually open up those gates of abundance. So when things are not going well, I'll go on and I'll donate $50 and I'll restore sight to a blind person when I'm feeling, or when things are going well and I'm feeling grateful, I'll, rest, I'll do that. So it's that to me is an example of having a lot of impact. And so look at the different charities, look at how they spend their money, look at the impact they get for each dollar that you give. That's one aspect. Of course, like, again, like I say, that's kind of a different bucket from giving to everybody that you pass, which is a, to me is absolutely an essential, but like the biggest chunk of the money I give goes to either, you know, some of it goes to a family that we know that struggles a lot, that has a bunch of kids and doesn't have a strong work situation, a family in our neighborhood. That's one area that we give to. Also, I'll give to kind of a high impact charity. This one's called SEVA, S-E-V-A.org. If anyone's interested in that particular charity, I feel that has a big impact. And then some is always set aside for giving just to everybody who asks, because it's an important thing to be saying yes and to be making that human connection and not being the one who averts your eyes because you know you don't want to you don't want to see this person on the street who's struggling i like how you break it down like that into those three different categories big impact for charitable giving giving to your neighbors that you see on the street that need your support and then the third one giving to specific families that are in need how do you balance the struggle with maybe feeling like you're enabling a family in need or a family member in need versus, you know, giving with all of your heart? So that's a great question. So that's really one of the key differences between the giving to everybody and the giving to those you want to be helping. So when I'm passing somebody on the street and they ask me for money, I never ask the enabling question. That's just a rule I have. I give a certain amount to everybody I pass who asks and what they do with it to a certain degree is going to be their their business. And I get it's such a small amount. It's much, it's not going to be lifting them out. It's not going to be enabling much, but it is a it's an amount to help them out. When I give a bigger amount to, you know, for instance, this one family in the neighborhood who we we tend to give a give a lot to, I'm looking at their individual situation. I'm saying, how can I help them? And um, and sometimes, by the way, we do so with conditions. So one example, going back a few years, friends of ours approached us. They were having a difficult time financially and they wanted help. And so again, the first rule, give to everyone who asks. So there was absolutely a yes, we will help you. But I also gave them two different options. So I looked at them and I said, a lot of the reason why they need help is because their concepts of money, their financial education, their financial, what we call blueprint, like their internal understanding of money and the choices they're making were so out of whack. So I said, I will help you. You need help right now. I'm willing to give you X amount of money or I'm willing to give you another amount. I forget how much it was in relative, like three X, five X, whatever it happened to be significantly more, but it comes with an assignment. I need you to read this book and follow the steps. And if you do that by this certain date, I will give you whatever it is, five X did the money. And the people were like, absolutely. We're 
so happy to do it. And what was interesting for me was they didn't actually get it done. Like they started it, they spent time. It was a very short book on money. And I was hoping to, to kind of fix their money perspective. And, you know, the person at the time was unemployed, they had nothing but time on their hands. And I gave them plenty of time to be reading it. And they didn't get it done at that point. And then they asked if they could kind of have the money anyway. And I said, absolutely not. In fact, what they'd at, they called me 12 hours before the deadline and said, I don't think we're going to get to the deadline because we have an extension. And I said, absolutely not. You know, the whole book only took like three hours to read. It says, you're telling me you've got 12 hours left and you want more time. If you want this, move mountains. What I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to give you the skills to be able to get money in your life. And the fact that I've given you two weeks and you haven't touched it and now it's like the last day and you're feeling like, oh, I've got to balance things out and I don't know if I really have time. Like, this is the reason why you haven't been able to hold a job. This is the reason why you're struggling in these different areas. Do whatever it takes to read this book in the next 12 hours. You know, you had till midnight. So rather than going to sleep at nine, you know, stay up, but get it done. Setting a goal and hitting it, it just has so much impact on your ability to hit the next one. So this was, you know, a family that I dealt with, but so I'll often do that. I'll give a certain amount of coaching. I'll sometimes give conditions and I'll let people know that if they want to work with me to get better in this area, that the amount of generosity I'm willing to give them is much, much higher than if they just want money, but they're going to continue going down an unhealthy path. So I'll actually work with them. I'll, I'll sit down, I'll have conversations. Like with this guy, I gave him a whole training and I'll help them set goals and I'll help them work things out financially. But it's not, here's a check, see you later. And you can tie those two things together, but still there's always part of a yes. Always yes, I'm giving you anyway, a little bit, because I want you to know that I love you and I care and I'm here for you. And I want you to know that I want to help you out. I mentioned the Rambam before. He gives you know eight levels of charitable giving from the most ideal to the least ideal. They're all charitable giving. And the number one, top one, is giving somebody the means to be self-independent. So rather than just giving them money to be living on, if you're able to give them money in such a way that means they don't need to be turning to people for charity from that point on, that is the best of them. So I try to help people in such a way that comes with advice. Like, these days, you know, now that I have my book, The Cash Machine, I'd say, okay, here's a certain amount of money to tide you over. And if you read The Cash Machine and you implement this and this and this strategy, like it'll help you out. So, you know, I'll give you this much more for reading the book and I'll help you out with these things. I'll give people coaching. I'll give them incentives to try to not be an enabler, but try to help them build themselves to the point where they don't need help anymore. I think that's good to have those levels. And like you said, the true gift, the true generosity there is the lesson if you're able to provide it too, and it's followed through with. So I appreciate that a lot. One question I had in the financial independence community, we often talk about the savings rate. How much can my saving to get to my financial independence level? I think that... I hope that there's a shift that's happening that I'm seeing. Maybe it's the the crowds that I'm falling in that are talking about giving rate more and more. So how do you think we can continue to shift the conversation to make the giving rate as popular as the savings rate in the financial independence community? I really do see a shift since Corona to a certain degree. I think that this has rocked people to a certain degree. And both those who have lost a lot of money, they lost the means for income, and those who've just have loved ones who've done so and they're in a strong position and are now reaching out more to help other people. I think it's kind of helped to see the human side of our money a lot more 
than we did even just a few months ago. And to me, like the two are totally are totally separate. It's not that we shift from the savings rate to the giving rate. To me, like they they one hundred percent go go hand in hand. You know, I've got a certain giving rate. We say, you know, in my Jewish tradition that the ideal is twenty percent, but that you shouldn't you should really not give less than ten. So we have, for instance, in my family, my wife and I made a choice that, you know, we're on a path towards financial independence. Once we learned this concept, we said, okay, let's give ourselves like a three-year goal to hit financial independence. And we're about a year and a half into that period at the moment. And we made a choice that, you know what, we are going to give 10% while we're on the road to financial independence. And once we hit financial independence, we're going to shift that to 20%. So for us, it's we, we made the goals go hand in hand. That like part of us being able to give to contribute more to the world is it's interlocked. It's connected to how much we're able to strengthen our financial, you know, foundations for ourselves. So by really putting those two things together, okay, let's set a goal and set our charitable goals and our our savings goals in such a way that they really fit together like a hand in a glove. And you know, as we increase what we're able to bring in ourselves, as we become less dependent on our and our salaries and such, then we will be able to just give more and more. And it's it's incentivizing us to get to financial independence sooner because giving is something we really want to be doing more of. So knowing that, ah, once I hit this goal, I'm going to be giving even that much more is part of what is fueling us to say, okay, how can we be as smart as possible with our money and on this path to financial independence? I love that. I love that. And I'd love to be a part of that conversation shift as well. So Dave, there's somebody listening right now who's giving probably less than 1% of their income. You know, maybe they're given to the local shelter, the cat shelter, and you know, somebody who's running their, their a friend who's running their first 10K. And after listening to this interview, they're inspired to, to give more. They want to be a part of this movement to give more in financial independence. What's one quick piece of advice that you'd leave with them today after they finish this interview to be more charitable? Whenever possible, Build human connections through your giving. The more you can get your your giving to have an emotional impact on you, the bigger impact, the, the more you're going to be seeing its its power and the more you're going to want more of it. So if you're the type of person who's like, I want to give money, I'm going to give $1,000 a year, and you write a $1,000 check and you're done and you've given one act of giving for the entire year, then it's not really going to hit you. You're not going to build that momentum. So I'd say first shift into, again, giving to everybody who asks, that is first before even other impact giving, because every time you pass somebody who needs money, you give to them, builds a human connection, and you start to feel like a giver. You start to shift. You start to, to fit that human need of contribution, and you feel more grateful for what you have, and it is just a huge shift. Also, if you're able to give in a way that you can feel that, that connection, I know one of the first aspects of charity that really hit me emotionally was when I was a kid and we went to a, a soup kitchen and I spent an evening, you know, giving out food to people. And that had a real impact because there's a human connection to it. So whenever you've got the ability to have that human connection, start there. It's going to make you want to do more. You're going to become addicted to it. You're going to want to go further and further. And also think about impact. Again, this idea of well, 50 bucks and I can restore sight to a blind person, like that blows me away. It feels like it's such a huge impact and I and it makes me feel so grateful for what I have again. So start with things that are gonna give you emotional juice because that's what's gonna feed this process and help you go more and more down that path. Well, let's give a shout out to that organization. Was that SEVA.org? S-E-V-A dot org. 
Awesome. Very cool. Well, I'll put that in the show notes for people to check out. Dave, this was an awesome conversation. I am on this journey myself coming from a person maybe three years ago who was giving 1% or less of my income to charity and at a point where I felt, hey, I could do a lot more. I've built up to 5% now and I'm trying my best to make some changes this year. And a lot of this advice you're giving right now is going to be very helpful for me on my journey. So thank you very much. And I hope it helps a lot of people who are listening today too. So Dave, where is the best place for people to connect with you, buy your book and learn more about you? So you can go to buildmycashmachine.com and there at the moment, I've got actually free downloads of the digital book. You can just go there and get your free copy of the book. Or if you want a, the hard copy or the audio book, go to, go to Amazon. People are going to pick up this book. They're going to love it. I also understand that you have a summit coming up within a week. So tell us about the summit. Absolutely. So one of the challenges with this book, in order to get people exposure to so many different financial areas, that was really the goal was just understand different aspects of money they might not have even heard about before. But I wasn't able to give everyone an in-depth explanation of each one and certainly have it make it a, be a page-turning novel at the same time. So what I've decided to do is to supplement this with a summit. And we're going to have several dozen speakers go on and talk about each area of money and really be able to go in-depth and help people understand you know, what they need to do for in real estate if they're interested in that area or how they can protect money in, in taxes how they could make smarter choices in credit cards, whatever it happens to be, go in depth in each of these different areas. And it's going to be an entirely free three-day summit from June 1st to 3rd. And I know that people can sign up with it at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash cash machine is your page. I'm really excited that you're going to be one of the speakers helping to educate our audience. And again, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash cash machine. They can go there, sign up for this entirely free summit. And again, Take the book for free, please. Take the summit for free. I really just want to get this information in people's hands so they can go out and figure out how to raise their financial level to you know, an entirely different point, really build solid financial foundations for themselves and just bring in that abundance that people want into their lives. I love it, man. And I love how you are giving to us right now with this information and with this summit. So I'm very excited to be a part of it. Thank you for honoring me with the invite. And Dave, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Andy. There is no one right way to give, in my opinion, but it's definitely interesting to explore and discover what feels right for you. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Dave Mason. Number one, build your giving muscle. If you're not a big giver, that's okay. This is something we can build over time. Just like getting out of debt or growing your investment portfolio, these things take time. Number two, test out bigger giving for 30 days. Think it's impossible to give 5% of your income or 10% of your income? Well, like Dave says, try it out for 30 days and see if it's more possible than you thought. Afterward, ask yourself how it feels to be more giving. Number three, go for big impact giving. Just like investing, you want your giving to have big impact. Research charities that not only warm your heart, but ones that you feel will create the biggest impact for your dollar. Your definition of true wealth may just change after you start giving more. I know that was the case for me. Dave, thank you so much for encouraging us to open our hearts and our wallets to make the world a better place. 
As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing this show for us and also Alec Collins for putting together our YouTube videos. I am so happy to have you both helping out on the show. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one important thing to support this show, everybody. Please text two of your friends right now and tell them about this show. Send them your favorite episode and tell them why they should download and subscribe to this family empowering podcast. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from H. Jackson Brown Jr. Remember that the happiest people are not those getting more, but those giving more. Blaze your path to financial independence with a trail of generosity, my friends. Carpe diem. 